You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I am, as always, your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. This show is, of course, available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, like Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, whatever you like. And if you don't like any of those services, you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. And today, since there was no practice on Tuesday, so there's no extra updates to really talk to you about, I mean, there's probably some things going on behind the scenes that we'll find out about on Wednesday that you might have already found out about uh, as you are listening to this, depending on when you listen to this podcast. Uh, but, you know, the, the coaches are probably watching a lot of tape today and, and, you know, talking about who, you know, what kind of depth chart moves they want to make, really probably looking in at, like, the defensive tackle situation since they've seen a lot from the depth guys and they probably know a lot more about the depth guys than they did, you know, three days ago, and especially, like, the wide receiver competition. So there's a lot going on, but we don't know about it, and we can't really talk about it then. So what I wanted to take today to do uh, was, you know, instead of covering, like, some random news or some random article or something, which there are some cool ones, maybe I'll just go find some cool articles that if you want to read, like, cool pieces about people, you can do so in the show notes. But I figured today was a good opportunity to talk about the the concerns on the team. Now, there's a few things that I personally am really worried about, things that I think, you know, if we are, are sitting here four or five months from now and going, what happened to the Vikings? How did they not make the playoffs again? You know, I, I am anticipating what the answers to that question would be. And, you know, I haven't really done any formal, like, declaration of, like, here is what I think would sink the team. If the team gets sunk, here's what I think we'll be blaming. You know, I haven't really done that. But I, I've talked about all these things over time as we've been previewing all the position groups and talking about people. You know, I've said, like, yeah, of course the offensive line is a worry, right? We're worried about the, the wide receiver depth, and, you know, we're worried about, like, the corner depth, especially at the beginning of the season. And, and, and so we know these things, and we've talked about these things. But I've never really had a time to, like, dedicate to it. So I feel like now's a pretty good opportunity. Opportunity. So the first thing I want to talk about is is just checking in on the offensive line. That is, of course, a concern, right? And and so how are they doing? And and I think that I I've kind of glossed over it, especially in you know previous shows where I've just had so much to talk about and I've gone long and all that stuff. But I, I've talked about you know how the offensive line looks cohesive, but that's only one component to being actually good. You know, you can all work together as a unit and still get beat. Like, you know, you can have done the right thing because we all communicated well and look how good, but, like, the guy got past me anyways because he just was better than me and, and like, that still wasn't good, right? You don't get points for completion. But just going, like, left to right on that first-team offensive line, you know, Riley Reef has been struggling with Everson Griffin, but that's understandable because it's Everson Griffin, and, yeah, Everson Griffin definitely looks like his old self, so it's not like, you know, some diluted old version of Everson Griffin. Like, he looks like he'll be totally fine, so losing to that, like, doesn't bother me too much, but it also, you know, on certain blocks, like, he just has missed a lot, and I, and I think he ultimately, like, we know what he is. There's enough tape out there on him from between his time in Detroit and his time here that we know that Riley Reef is just, like, an okay left tackle that you probably want to improve on eventually but it's never going to be like an emergency that you have to deal with now and there will probably something there will probably always be something more dire so you might never get around to it and I guess that's fine but you kind of wish you could if you had the opportunity to um and and I think that that like is what you have at left tackle and I think compared to what we've had in the past with like you know the disastrous 
uh, Matt Khalil seasons and the TJ Clemmings disasters and like Jeremiah Searles was over there at one point. Like I'll take it and and I, I don't want to overvalue you know where I, like how I feel about the left tackle position compared to how bad it was because you know compare a guy like Riley Reef to TJ Clemmings and of course he's gonna like you're gonna end up overrating him and I want to try to like fight that. But ultimately, even though he's lost a couple in camp and he looks like he's actually like not off to the greatest start, I also kind of feel like for guys like Riley Reef, you know, he is not somebody that you're going to be able to discern a lot about in camp because, you know, he has so much tape out there that like what happens in a practice is never going to supersede what you know he's done in game situations, and and his tape and his his stats going into you know going from like 2016 17 18 are going to tell us more about who he is than you know watching him against Everson Griffin in training camp ever will so it's just like not even really worth paying attention to which is probably why you don't see a lot of reporting on him but the real intrigue comes on that interior right going into Pat Elfline guys I'm really worried about Pat Elfline I I really think that he could have a really poor year now if you're gonna have a poor year at a one offensive lineman, I think data shows that left guard is probably the best place for that to happen. You know, I'd rather have a struggling left guard than a struggling center because the mental mistakes make that such a problem or a struggling tackle on either side because, you know, going up against edge rushers, that's a lot of times their best pass rusher and you can't double team with tackles as often as you can. You can always hide a, a, a bad left guard by having a center double team every time. So, like, I get that there's an importance thing and that if Pat Elflin is there and he sucks, it's not going to be the thing that tanks the team, right? We're not going to look back and say the, the 2019 Vikings failed because the left guard position wasn't good enough. No, something else will have been going on, and you can probably look at every bad team ever that had a bad left guard and find something else that was going on that caused it. But that said, that doesn't mean that I don't want left guard to be good. Like, I want the Vikings to have a good left guard, and, and if I were a betting man, I would say that Pat Elflin has a bad year. He looks like he's struggling. He looks like his strength is not there at all. You know, the optimism of, but he's had a whole offseason to, you know, do his strength workouts and stuff and get back to, to form. I think he always had a strength issue, and I, I, I think it'll be a long time before that gets cleared up, if it ever does. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm worried about Pat Elfline. I really don't think that I have very high expectations for him. But for Bradbury, I, I see a guy who is, you know, pretty good. I, I see a guy that can play and is going to be okay. And okay in your rookie year is excellent. Even for a first rounder that can come in and play right away and be okay. And that means that, you know, in a couple years, once rookie jitters are out and you've transitioned, you can probably be better than okay. And I'll take that 100%. And that'll help hide Pat Elfline. And so I, I feel like Garrett Bradbury will come in and, and, you know, immediately like have the impact you hoped that he would have. And that would be awesome. And I feel like that's the most likely outcome right now. But that said, he's still a rookie, and there's always going to be some rookie struggles, and they'll be understandable, and they're not going to be something where, like, oh, he was a bad pick because, you know, he struggled in this game or whatever. No, it's just going to be rookie stuff. But I I feel like we're going to see those struggles come into play, and, you know, a lot of the optimism surrounding Garrett Bradbury is, oh, he's going to look good for a rookie. And then we'll see next year if he can, you know, shake that off, which is always a question mark with any draft pick. But I feel really good about Garrett Bradbury's chances to do that and to kind of be the center we wish he was for years to come. So moving on, I I actually really feel good about Josh Klein. I only watched him for one day, but I heard he was good on the other days too. And he just looks like a guy that's like 
knows how to play interior offensive line. He just looks like a good, like a solid guard, or even a good guard. Like, just somebody that can play right guard and and hold up against a three technique one-on-one. Even sometimes, I mean, sometimes that three technique has been, like, Hercules, Mata'afa, or Jaleel Johnson. So, again, the competition level, and you have to adjust for that and all that. But, but it seems like he is somebody that has no trouble, you know, working in his own scheme. He knows exactly what he's doing in Kubiak's scheme. And, and that's another thing, you know, and I'll talk about it a little bit, but people seem really, like, used to Kubiak's scheme, like, right away. Uh, that's kind of interesting to me, but he, but for Josh Klein, like, it, it just seems, like, you can tell he's a veteran out there, and maybe that's because he's next to, you know, a Bradbury and Elfline, too, relatively, and O'Neal on the other side, like, relatively young players. But, like, it seems like Josh Klein knows what he's doing, and I'm actually, like... I, dare I say excited about a right guard? Like, he just seems like he's never going to be the problem, and that's exactly what you want. And then moving to the other side, Brian O'Neill is... I would say he looks improved, not necessarily from a strength perspective. I Not that I don't think that. I just haven't really paid attention to it one way or another. Uh, but, but just looking at the one-on-one reps and a lot of reps against Daniel Hunter, where he, you know, he has fared better than uh, I think a lot of tackles would, you just see that, that some of the rawness that he came out of pit with is starting to kind of get rubbed away and, and that he's starting to like learn how to, to play sound technique tackle instead of like winning with athleticism and stuff. And now his athleticism becomes a complement to the technique rather than the athleticism doing all the work on its own. And that's exactly what you want. So I feel really good about that right side of the line, especially if you count Bradbury in that. And I'm, I'm a little more worried about the left side, which kind of stinks because then you invite people to put their best pass rushers on that left side because that's where the worst players are. And, uh, you know, that's the blind side, and that, that stinks. Although, I, I don't know if Riley Reef is better, or, sorry, I, I don't know if Riley Reef is worse than Brian O'Neill in a vacuum. Relative to expectations, I feel better about Brian O'Neill than Riley Reef, but their expectations are definitely not the same. And then there's the scheme. You know, we talked a lot about, like, is, you know, is Gary Kubiak and Rick Dennison, like, are those two guys going to fix this? Are they going to be able to take this problem that's been a problem for, like, five years and fix it, and it seems like they're gonna at least get these guys in the right place. Like I, like I said, cohesive. It seems like those, like the the scheme is doing what it's supposed to do. And and I've said, you know, people have asked me, especially. I mean, I'm I, I'm on a trip to Minnesota right now, so I'm seeing a lot of friends and family and stuff. And people have asked me, so what do you think about you know Gary Kubiak? And I am what I think is he is the best zone running mind in history in human history. He is, or in NFL history at least, he is the the best guy you could possibly get if you want to run a zone scheme. Now, his zone scheme is something that everybody has years of tape on and and is, you know, maybe going to go out of fashion sooner than we like, but it hasn't yet, and so I guess that's fine. But I think if you want to run it, you can't find anybody better, and I think we're seeing that. I think, you know, we're seeing offensive linemen know exactly what to do because it's generally a familiar concept, I think, to everybody in football by this point. It's been around for so long. And so, you know, while that comes with the con of defenses are used to it, it also comes with the pro of offensive linemen are used to it. And that's, you know, and, and I go back to that that quote that Mike Zimmer had in a presser that, like, yeah, we're, we're simplifying things for the offensive line and we're making it easier for them. And I, and I don't know if it's simplifying because football can get really complex no matter what you're doing. But I, I think that the idea that, you know, we're doing something that they are going to intuitively know how to do and that, you know, you're not going to have to worry 
about, you know, horrible communication errors or something which plagued the Vikings awfully in 2018, I think that, regardless of talent, is going to pay a dividend, and so I'm pretty excited about it. All in all, the offensive line as a concern is like, I feel like it's less of one than I felt like, you know, a week ago at this time. The depth, too, is like also not bad. I think Drew Samia has been more sound than I I think that we like thought he would be. Not that I think he's ready to play yet. I don't think he's ready to play yet, but he definitely looks like somebody that will be eventually and maybe sooner than we thought. I actually don't hate what I've seen out of Avian Collins, which is great because he was kind of a question mark. Uh, I definitely don't hate what we've seen from Dakota Dozier or Brett Jones. Like, I think the interior backups are going to be really nice and deep, and if somebody gets hurt, you're going to have, like, a pretty small drop-off. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of Rashad Hill as a starter, but I'll take him absolutely as a backup, and you might even have some room to hang on to, like, an Ole Udo or somebody depending on what you do elsewhere on the roster. So depth-wise, I actually feel pretty good about the offensive line in that, like, the starters, for all their struggles, if they get hurt, there won't be too much of a drop-off. So, like, all in all, as as a concern, how concerned are you about the offensive line? I don't think that I'm concerned about it as much as I would have been in previous years, but that doesn't mean that I'm not concerned. But, you know, and I also think that concern's a weird word because it, it implies some sort of uncertainty, and it's like there's no uncertainty surrounding the fact that the offensive line probably won't be a top-half unit. But we also don't really need it to be considering the talent elsewhere on the roster. We just need it to be something that isn't tanking that talent or, or like, removing the value of that talent, you know? All you need to do is give time for, you know, Adam Thielen to be able to add an extra little, like, juke in the release or an extra little window dressing at the at the, the breaking point of his route, you know, or Stephon Diggs to do that. And, and that's not asking for the unit to be elite. That's asking for the unit to be competent. And if we're looking for competence, I actually like their odds, man. I, I really do. But there's a lot of other concerns that, that I want to get to here. But first, I want to thank the sponsor of this podcast, Five Star Painting, a neighborly company. Five Star Painting. Could this be the perfect opportunity for you? Are you driven? Do you have the heartbeat of an entrepreneur? If you're interested in running your own business, text Five Star F I V E S T A R to 87000 right now to learn more. Choosing to start your business with Five Star Painting means setting yourself up for success by surrounding yourself with the best in the business and the best at the business. With Five Star Painting, you'll be your own boss, pick your own territory, set your own hours, and live a better quality of life running a business that you can be proud of. You'll have access to the best resources to help you scale your landscape business to meet your personal and professional goals, and you will go home every day with satisfaction of helping your customers enhance and maintain the beauty of their homes. As a five-star painting owner, you'll also be part of the greater Neighborly community of home service brands. Neighborly has powered, empowered more than 3,700 entrepreneurs to achieve their dreams and goals through local business ownership. No one knows the home service industry better than Neighborly. Every year, nearly 1 million customers are proudly served by one of Neighborly's 22 award-winning brands some of which include Mosquito Joe, Molly Maid, Glass Doctor, and Mr. Reuter. You know, being your own boss is something that is, is I, I guess, invaluable. I mean, I get to do it with this podcast, and I have a, a day job where I don't get to be my own boss, and the contrast is stark. It is unbelievable the freedom that I get with a show like this. I just get to talk about what I want. I don't have to answer to somebody. And if you're somebody that values that kind of process, then maybe you should try this whole service. So whether you've been thinking about starting your own business or you've already or you're already running your own painting company, text 5 star to 87000 to learn more about how 5 star painting franchises can help you get to where you want to go 
faster than going it alone. Again, text F-I-V-E-S-T-A-R to 8700 to learn more about the Neighborly brands that may be available in your area, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. So there's generally a depth concern that I want to get to, but I'll try to do it really quickly, mainly at uh, cornerback and defensive line, like depth on the defense, I would say, that people are very concerned about. And I kind of get it, right? Like, Holton Hill's suspended, Mike Hughes is hurt, you know, on the defensive line, you have Stephen Weatherly as, like, the next best edge rusher, and if you don't believe in him, there's not a lot behind him. You know, there's, like, a Fadi Odenabo who couldn't make the roster, there's, uh, you know, Tayshawn Bauer who tore his Achilles, you could be worried about that, and I actually am a little bit worried about, like, rotational edge rusher depth. If Everson Griffin or Daniel Hunter gets hurt, you have basically no rotational depth that's worth a dang at all. Unless we start seeing somebody from one of the lower end guys like Stacy Keeley or like Henri Saint Amour, like one of those guys like shows out in preseason or something, but it would like take that to feel good about it, and that's a low odds out outcome, right? Like that's there's a low probability of that happening. So like I, I feel fairly concerned about that, but I don't feel concerned at all about the defensive tackle depth. In fact, if there's any opinion that has changed from me. Uh, the most it is that the defensive tackle depth as rotational and backups I feel excellent about still very worried about the starter especially because Shamar Stefan is on the non-football injury list and hasn't played and even though Mike Zimmer you know downplayed it and said oh it's gonna be you know just a short time like he's still not back and every day that he sits out you know is becomes a little bit more concerning like I'm still a little worried about him as a starter even before all that And even now, like, I'm even a little bit more worried. But as depth, I think the depth group of Jalen Holmes, Hercules Mata'afa, and Jaleel Johnson on the interior, like, from what has been happening in camp just so far, and we're still very early into it, I feel a lot better than I did a week ago. But, you know, beyond that, like, looking at the linebacker position, you have Ben Gideon and Eric Wilson, and that's kind of your linebacker depth, and that's the same way that it was last year. You have Devontae Downs, and then, like, kind of some open space... Cameron Smith is is part of that equation now, and I can't wait to see what we see from him. Uh, but I think the secondary depth is the more interesting conversation from people, right? Because you lost Hughes, you're, or you're losing Hughes still, you lost Holton Hill for half the season, and so, you know, if, if Trey Waynes goes down, how do you feel about it? Well, I, I think that if none of those guys are back, then I'm worried. But I think the way that they have this set up is they've done workouts with, like, Mo Claiborne and, you know, Dexter McDouglas and these guys that they kind of have on the speed dial. So if one of those guys goes down, you know, you, you got to limp through the rest of the game with, with whoever's still still on the field, but then you can immediately call up Mo Claiborne and kind of be there. And you don't have to spend a roster spot on that. He's just kind of there for reserve, and, you know, it's July. Nobody else is going to sign that guy. So I actually feel okay about that, and if there's any spot on the defense where I feel the best about the depth, it's at safety. Uh, you know, if you count J. Ron Curse as a safety, and he can also play cornerback and kind of help with that problem, but just his presence is just really nice. You have Darren Smith, who I thought looked really good on the one day that I went, and I also already had a high opinion of him. Marcus Epps has been flashing forever. I didn't see much from him personally, but I do believe the people that like were watching and felt impressed. But I think no matter how that shakes out, you'll have some pretty good depth. Like, if Anthony Harris gets hurt, I'm not sitting here, like, biting my nails going, who's going to come in? I think there's plenty of good options. But the depth that I really want to talk about and spend the rest of the show on is wide receiver. Because that is the true concern. And that is, if the, you know, if, if the defensive tackle depth is the one thing I feel better about, if there's one thing I feel worse about after watching it, it's the wide receivers. Because nobody is stepping up. And nobody is, you know, really standing out amongst a group of riffraff. I mean, really, a truly a group of castoffs and and 
and busts and backups. I mean, Laquan Treadwell genuinely might be the third best receiver on the roster, and that's horrible because Laquan Treadwell is not good at this. And the fact that nobody has stepped up to overtake him, I mean, nobody on the whole roster has shown in the immediate moments that they are better at wide receiver than Laquan Treadwell, that's really disappointing and really, really concerning. Now, there's a long way to go and maybe something changes. I think Jordan Taylor is the single guy that I think has the best chance to do this. I like the way he runs routes. I I don't think he has the talent, though, to, like, put any fear in a defense. I mean, if you're a defensive coordinator and, say, you know, one of Diggs or Thielen is hurt, and Jordan Taylor is the next man up, you're putting your CB2 on Jordan Taylor all day, and he's going to shut it down. You can bracket whichever of Diggs and Thielen is healthy, and you can pretty much shut down the pass game. And and that is really concerning because, I mean, what are the odds that both Diggs and Thielen make it through all 16 games? Even if you forget that both of them have been injured in the past, like, forgetting that bias and uh, that they are biased toward being injured because of that, like, it's just like your best two receivers, somebody is going to miss a game. It's football. Somebody is going to get hurt. And so banking on their health to not have a total disaster at the wide receiver position is really, really concerning. I mean, Chad Beebe, he's had his drops. He hasn't really looked like the guy that, like, took everything by storm in the preseason and even had some decent reps in the regular season. He hasn't looked like that guy. He's just looked like a roster bubble quality wide receiver, and that's really what everybody is. I mean, I, I again, there there are things that I like that I'm seeing from like the draft picks, like Dylan Mitchell and BZ Johnson. I think the way that they run routes is something that are, I like. Their fluidity, I like their technique, I like their tenacity, and but that's you know me watching, and none of those guys are are doing it so well that they stand out. And I like I want to see people make big catches over Duke Thomas, but you know, and, and and I think I'm getting a bias toward like the corner depth with guys like Duke Thomas and I mean Nate Medors. I did I talk about him yesterday? Nate Medors has just been absolutely crushed by everybody. It's going very poorly for him. But you know, I see good things from like Duke Thomas and Mackenzie Alexander. Doesn't seem like he has to try very hard at all to beat these guys. Like it it seems easy for him. You know, it seems like Holton Hill is doing well, and maybe it's because they're good players, but I also think it's because they're going up against, like, Brandon Zilstra and guys that really don't seem, you know, the the, the line that I've had for this whole group is after Diggs and Thielen, I don't know if you could pluck any single one of these guys out of that, like, wide receiver three battle, put them on another roster, and guarantee that they would make it. I don't think you can even guarantee that any of these guys are going to make it in our roster. And in a roster with, like, Laquan Treadwell on it, and, and you know, the best guy is Jordan Taylor, who has only taken, like, 15 snaps a game for Denver once and is coming off of injury. Like, it is a really concerning group. And I think, like, if you're one of those people that's, like, really disappointed with the front office and with the management of this team for not doing more at that wide receiver position, you know, not even, like, going after a guy like Pierre Garçon or, you know, not going after wide receivers that are out there, like, you know, Taewon Taylor is somebody that I've seen a, a lot of, like, hype about or any of those guys out there or, you know, looking at it, taking it more seriously in the draft than two throwaway seventh rounders. Uh, they really seem to have neglected that position in this particular offseason and hoping that they would throw a bunch of mud at the wall and find a diamond in the rough, which they've been pretty good at doing, but banking on it 
is either risky, foolish, or both. So that is going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Vikings. I will be back tomorrow with more camp observations. We'll see if I change any of my opinions on something because, you know, we'll see if if people continued what they did or if they had just had a good day on Monday or a bad day on Monday and I was only judging them based off of that. So I can't wait to see what happens there. In the meantime, you can always follow me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. I'll be doing my best to do some play-by-play. I apologize in advance for the typos. Uh, you can always find the show anywhere you find your favorite podcast. You can find the show also on Twitter at Locked On Vikings, and you can find this show by asking your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. I will see you all tomorrow, and as always, skull.